Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is a board-certified executive coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Is it hot enough for you out there? It is in Columbia, South Carolina. We finally hit the high 90s. I know some of you are in the triple digits. I don't necessarily envy you, but I don't I don't care too much about the heat. It doesn't bother me. I lived just three years up north in the snow in the winter, and that was enough for me. It's pretty, but I don't complain about the heat. Happy summer. I hope all is going well. We are going to just cover a few things this week. This I'm going to call this uh, leadership potpourri, probably leadership potpourri too, because I think I did one of these not too long ago on the show. And uh, there's just a few things that I keep on my mind when I am coaching leaders. When I've got a lot of people that I'm coaching over a period of time, I learn so much from the people that I coach because I'm coaching effective, successful leaders most of whom are in the social sector or the nonprofit sector, not all of them, but I just am learning so much. And the, the magic I find in coaching is when uh, solutions are sort of co-created where we just, we just happen up on something in conversation, a cool model or concept or linking a, a particular thought to a situation that just unlocks things. And I love it when that happens, when I walk away with, as much if not more benefit than the coachee. Uh, so I learned so much from you uh, and I appreciate you. I hope you'll keep uh, bringing the authenticity that you bring to these coaching sessions because again, I'm enriched for it and I hope you are too. I think you are. I just want to share a few things that kind of come across the the screen as, as we're coaching leaders and I'm going to get right into it. This is really kind of random stuff. They might tie together in the end, but I'm going to keep them short. And one of the things is that uh, as I coach leaders throughout the week, I'm finding that, of course, some of the leaders I coach are young leaders and even first time leaders in their organizations, leaders as in they actually are supervising somebody now. So I know that's not how we normally define leadership, but they consider themselves to be in their first position of leadership traditionally in, in their organization. And when I coach these leaders, some of them walk into their leadership challenges with a sense of um, maybe not quite overwhelm, but trepidation. <laughs> uh, just, I haven't been here before. I haven't experienced this. I'm having these challenges with the person I'm leading or the people that I'm leading or my super my supervisor is expecting things that I just don't have the time to do because I'm stuck in the middle here I'm I'm leader but I'm also I'm at a a, a mid-level where I still have to be a performer as well as a leader and so there's those challenges I I've never I don't know how to delegate effectively I've never I've never done that never never been responsible for someone else and their development when do I start that and how do I start that What's the difference between leadership and management, et cetera? And here's what I would say. This, um, this came up in a recent conversation. Embrace the process and cherish the learning. 
being in leadership roles in your organization, I mean, the first one is a rite of passage where your first time supervisor, I will never forget my first real supervisory job. I had 26 telemarketers to supervise and man, did I learn a lot through the process of making mistakes mostly, but I just learned so much about both management and leadership in that role. But embrace the process and cherish the learning. That would be my, my um, I guess, admonition today. There's a, um, there's a concept in baseball. And, uh, apologies for the sports analogy, but those of you that have listened to me or know me know that I like baseball. In baseball, you know, you've got nine players on a team. They all step up one at a time to the plate uh, throughout the game. But they don't just bat once. You come back around after nine outs, after, you know, third or fourth inning, you're coming back to the plate a second time. In the sixth or seventh inning, by then you're coming back to the plate a third time. And there is this thing in baseball called the third time through the rotation. <laughs> and that's when you've seen a pitcher, if the starting pitcher is still pitching that long, eight or nine innings into the game, by then you've seen them at least three times. You know their stuff. You know they like to throw the fastball. You know how it feels. You watch the release point, the motion of the pitcher. You sort of start to get into a rhythm. And it's why a lot of pitchers are pulled in the fifth, sixth, or seventh innings because their managers know this. Their managers don't want the opposing team to see their pitcher for the third time because that's often when the hits start coming because I got you now. So think about your job. Don't don't worry too much about the first time through the rotation. If you're doing work that you're going to be doing again, you're going to learn from it and you're going to make mistakes. I remember my first three years at United Way. Starting in 1995, my first United Way job was campaign and marketing director of a $3.5 million dollar United Way. That was the money we raised each year during our campaign. And I was the campaign and marketing director. In other words, I was the, I was, I directed the fundraising, the big fundraising campaign that United Way runs every year. And I remember when I took the job, the executive director at the time told me, and, and she had been the, the previous campaign director. She had moved up into the CEO role. And she told me when I started, she said, it'll take you three years to really get this. And I'm young and cocky and I'm like, hey, it might have taken you three years. <laughs> It'll only take me once. Well, of course I was wrong. <laughs> and I, uh, I go into this first campaign not knowing the first thing about what I'm doing and really had to learn uh, on the fly. Talk about OJT. Talk about learning it in the crucible of the experience. And so by the second time around, I kind of found myself going, okay, I, I learned from the first time. I'm not going to do this, or I am going to do this. By the third campaign, by the time the third campaign was almost over, that's when I had the big ahas. I was like, okay, now I think I understand how this machine really works. And it was just so true. She was spot on. It'll take three years 
Of course, then she told me uh, that the shelf life of a good campaign and marketing director is five to seven years because I'll get bored and want to move on. I'm going to talk about that next, but uh, I ended up uh, going through seven campaigns there before moving on to my next United Way role. My point is, if you're a young leader out there and you're looking at these experiences going, man, I don't want to drop the ball. I don't want to fail in this first run. I don't know what I'm doing. You start to feel overwhelmed. You start to feel the pretender syndrome. Don't. Just embrace the process. Your second time through the rotation, you'll have a little bit more comfort level. You'll see things differently. And by your third time through, you'll have this. Now, I'm not saying make the same mistakes three times. That's a different thing. But you're going to make different mistakes and you're going to learn different aspects of the work that you're doing. So there's that. Now, if you are a veteran leader, keep this principle in mind for your people. Help your team get to the third time in the rotation. Help those young leaders keep in mind that they need a place to fail. They need a place to experiment and to grow and of course to succeed, to do things that maybe you didn't do or wouldn't have thought of, but help them get to that third place in the rotation, that third time through, help them keep their wits about them, coach them in terms of what have they learned so far and how would they do it differently so far. Anyway, that's just the first thing. Keep that, keep that in mind, third time through the rotation. The second thing I want to share with you is uh, just a reminder that you need to ask yourself as a leader pretty, I don't know that you need to ask it all the time, but you need to be clear about what are you best at? What are you best at? And does the, does your current role allow room for that? If not, you're going to need to find an outlet for it soon. And here's what I mean. When I say, what are you best at? I don't necessarily mean, well, I'm, I'm the best accountant in the organization or I'm the best public speaker. It could be those things, but sometimes the things you're best at, your job doesn't call for those things. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a photographer. I'm pretty good at it. Mm. Did my job when I was with United Way allow room for that? Actually it did it, at least in a couple of the different uh, assignments I had allowed room for it. I, and I kind of made room for it. Um, what are you good at? What are you talented? Where do you really like to show your gifts? And then ask, does my current role allow room for that? And again, if not, you'll need to find an outlet soon. I had a coach tell me once an executive coach, I engaged with him for about six months and it was absolutely wonderful. And I remember him telling me, Patrick, you're going to need an outlet for some of your some of your talents. I said, what do you mean? This is, I've, I've got room. He's no, you're going to need an outlet just without sacrificing the work and without taking bandwidth away that the organization is counting on you for, you're going to need to find some way to let some of these gifts and talents out, or it's really going to frustrate you. And he knew at the time that I was someone who liked to kind of get my hands in a lot of different things. And I liked variety. I would do something for a while. And then I want to, I'm ready to do something else. And, um, he helped me understand the importance of finding the alignment between what I'm great at and what the job calls for 
or at least what opportunity and possibility might call for. So find the alignment and, and ask this same question about your team members and help them find their outlets. Um, you're you're going to want to do this. Uh, you, um, you might need your outlets. Your team also needs their outlets. So th- know your team. Get to know them. Find out what they're really, really good at, best at. Make sure there's somewhere in the organization that's getting that from them because it'll benefit the organization but it'll also benefit them and it will keep them engaged. Remember, we've talked about this a lot, self-determination, three things your, your people want. They want autonomy, they want mastery, and they want relatedness. Help them with that mastery, that piece where they know they're competent at something, they're great at it, they're getting better at it, you're helping them get better at it. You're recognizing them for the mastery when you see it so that they feel this incredible sense of fulfillment and contribution and value and accomplishment. Here's the next thing I'll share with you. Um, Be careful if you are, I'm going to, again, this is all of these I'm finding fall on multiple levels. So if you're a veteran leader, you, you, maybe you're the CEO of the organization or you're a manager, be careful about this. You've probably heard this. Somebody comes to you and complains about something. But the way they complain about it is to say, some people are saying that, you've heard this, right? Hey, look, I don't, I, this isn't necessarily me, but I just want you to know that people are talking out there and they think this, or they think that, or people are getting frustrated. And when you ask them who they just say, well, just, just people that I've talked with, I don't want to name names, but just, there's several people out there. It's, it's a growing thing. Be, be careful of that. Just throw up a caution flag. It might be true. There might be people grumbling throughout the organization and you might want to really pay attention to what this person is telling you. They might be bringing you a gift. I will tell you though, in my experience, more often than not, they're bringing you, um, they're bringing you cover for themselves. And so what I have learned to do as a coach, and I actually learned to do this as a manager, focus back on them. What is their role and what do they think? So if I'm a manager and people, people come to me and say, you know, some people are saying that this, I'm, I'm going to say, what are, what are your thoughts on it? What do you say about it? And and now I'm thinking about a scripture in the Bible where Jesus asked, who do men say that I, the son of man am? (laughs) And they say, well, some say you're Elijah brought back to life or Isaiah or one of the prophets, et cetera, et cetera. And then he turns it, he goes, well, what about you? Who do you, who do you think I am? Forget about all these other people. Who do you think I am? Do that as a manager. Ask your people, well, what do you think? Do you agree with them? And if they do, then focus back on them and say, okay, well, let's, let's talk about you and your role and how this affects you and how you're seeing the dynamic and what your potential solutions are and how you might advise me as a leader to move forward but let's focus on you. So just be careful of that. Uh, don't let people cop out on that. Oftentimes someone will feel a certain way and they know they're the only one that feels that way, but they'll come to you and say, other people are saying it too. Just be careful of that. Now, if you are the person um, that's doing this, <laughs> look inward. What is your role? And why aren't you just coming and saying, hey, I've noticed something. I might be the only one, but here's what I'm noticing. Here's how I'm experiencing this. Here's, here's how this is showing up for me. Let's have a, a one-on-one authentic 
open conversation about it. In coaching, we always say this, what is your role? Because it probably doesn't surprise you that in my coaching, people will say, well, what do I do about, you know, John or, you know, Tim or Susie? What do I do? They won't do this and they won't do that. And I, I just wish they this and they that. I have to come back and go, yeah, but they're not on the call. So what about you? What's your role? What is your role in this? We can't coach who's not in the room. That's a Dr. Jim Smith who trained and certified me years ago. Heard that many, many times. You can't coach who's not in the room. Remember that as a manager. Your people will often come and they'll want to coach somebody else. Makes them feel better. They want to coach someone else in front of you. They want you to coach that somebody else right there in front of them. No, you're the one in the room. Let's coach you right now. And it's fair game if you want to coach me right now too. But you can only coach who's in the room. So pay attention to to what you're hearing there. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll say this as a as a leader. If you are that senior leader and these you know you've got people coming to you with this, it's possible that they're not feeling a sense of identity with you, and this is why they're having to rely on making labeling their identity, their identity with the other people in the organization. When they come and say other people are saying this, they're actually identifying with those people. You want them identifying with you. It's another part of self-determination, autonomy, mastery, and relatedness. People want a sense of relationship and relatedness to the mission and their leader. They want to feel like I belong here. I belong with this leader I identify with this leader. Um, I'm, I'm here to team with this leader, this mission, this organization, this team, whatever it is. And so they may not be feeling a sense of identity with you. So it can be a symptom of something else. If people are coming to you and saying, complaining about something, but putting it off on somebody else because they don't just want to say, I feel this way. Uh, work on your relationship with that person. There's a concept in the influencer training by Vital Smarts that talks about making sure you're paying attention to that social influencer in your organization and you're leveraging them and you're creating that sense of identity with them because they can do you a lot of good in the organization. They can also do you a lot of bad in the organization. So pay attention to them. Um, we use a concept in our coaching called CIA. The C, what are the things about this situation you control? You completely control it. You have your hands on the knobs and levers and wheels. You have 100% um, unilateral control over something. What are those things? What are the things for the I in CIA that you can't directly control, but you can influence them? And this is where 90% of the art of leadership lies is this influence column. I can't control it, but what's my role in influencing it, in increasing the chances that we'll get a different outcome, a different set of behaviors, uh, a different mindset? How do I influence that? And then the A are the things I can't control them. I can't influence them. I just have to accept them as they are, and I have to adapt to them. So that A can be accept or adapt. I've seen it both ways in the model. What do I control? What do I not control, but I can influence and what do I need to adapt to? It's not mine. It's not mine to change or influence. I got to, I got to find workarounds for it. 
What is my role in each of these scenarios? So that's a model you might help share with your team. Uh, I think the last thing I want to share with you here is that, boy, it seems like we've been saying this a lot (laughs) since, certainly since 2020, but leaders and their teams are tired. We're in stressful times and circumstances take their toll on people. They're, They're tired and they're stressed. Some of it has to do with this figuring out this remote work balance. Some of it has to do with figuring out post-COVID norms. Some of it has to do with the demands of the job. And in some organizations, demands are increasing while capacity seems to be decreasing. At least it feels that way. And, you know, people feel overworked, underpaid, all those things. Um, Here's what I would say to you as a senior leader, particularly you CEOs out there. You're not alone with your organizational crisis. Um, I've talked to some leaders recently who've had some big, big hits, big hits in the organization, personnel hits, financial hits, things that are really stressful. Um, I've, I've coached leaders who are in some really really dark places in their organization with some, some bad things going on. You're not alone with your organizational crisis. Here's something that I'm going to make a statement. I want, I want this to resonate with you. If you're a, an organizational CEO, I want to say something that I know you know is true, but you might need to hear it again. And it is this. You are not the sole proprietor of your nonprofit. Okay. You are a steward. The community owns your organization. The board of directors governs your organization. You are what we might consider the chief steward, but you're not alone. This isn't your business. It can feel that way when things are going bad and you're sitting there in the CEO chair going, I'm feeling all the pressure. The buck stops here. I'm the one I'm accountable. I got to figure this out. You don't have to figure all this out alone. You have a board. You have a team. Uh, Maybe you have a spouse, a a therapist, a coach, a friend, peers in the network, associations, uh, you name it. Lean on your support system. We forget about them. We're not alone in this. Your organization is not just yours to carry the entire burden by yourself. Even I, I am the sole proprietor of my business. I'm a, a solopreneur, as they say, but I'm not alone. I, I was smart enough to develop an advisory board designed by, by choice uh, to help me think things through in the business. I lean heavily on my family, really heavily on my friends and colleagues, And yes, I still use other coaches. Work the problem calmly. This is, this is really important. Um, so two things, one, you're not alone. Don't be alone. And two, how you respond to these various issues and crises in your organization, you are really on Um, I was going to say thin ice. I don't know if that's the word. You're at a really critical moment for everybody else because they're going to play off of you. 
how you respond and work through impacts everyone and it teaches them what the desired culture is because you are modeling the culture. This is where emotional intelligence has to come in. You can't be the leader walking around just shaking your head and complaining about other people and griping about the mayor because they won't return your phone call or you know, showing the frustration and the, the, all the weariness that comes with a particular issue you're dealing with. You have to respond in the way you would want your people to respond to this crisis because they're modeling after you. So remember, the cameras are rolling is what I like to say. Imagine that there's a documentary film crew following you around every day, all day. And the documentary is about leadership and they're watching you as part as one of their three main vignettes in the, in the movie and they're following you and they're watching you. How would you behave? How would you want the world to see? This is how I show up in leadership during a crisis. Here's a couple of other things you can think about. Number one, gratitude is power. Gratitude is a powerful underestimated, underrated, and underused force. Gratitude puts things in perspective and it gives you a resting place to breathe during difficult or uncertain times. So as simple as it may sound, one of the things you can do in times of high stress or concern or worry is pause and make a list of the things for which you are grateful. You've heard this suggestion all your life, I'm sure. Make a personal one and then make an organizational one. What are the things your organization should be thankful for right now? What are the things you as a person, a leader, uh, just a human that you are grateful for? Express that gratitude. It is very, very powerful when you are going through tough times. The second thing I would say is one of the things you can employ as a leader that you need to be doing anyway as a leader is vision casting. And I mean vision casting during times of stress, issue, challenge, crisis, whatever you want to call it. Vision casting reduces the fear of the unknown. And I'm not talking about vision casting as in the big ethereal mission of, or vision of the organization. I'm talking about helping people see the steps that are in front of them, even if they're difficult ones. It's like when the pilot comes on the loudspeaker and says, we're going to be experiencing a little turbulence over the next three or four minutes. Please keep your seats. Well, now when I feel the bumps, I'm not as concerned. I know the pilot has already acknowledged this. I'm ready for it. It doesn't make me enjoy the turbulence, but it makes me fear it a little less because if he doesn't say it and I'm feeling these bumps and things, I'm going, uh-oh, what's going on? Is the pilot holding something from us? Your people do that in your organization. They will wonder, what's the CEO holding from us? I'm not feeling right about what's going on. There's, there's a vibe in the air. There's, there's moves being made, and I'm not understanding what they are. The pilot hasn't come on and said and acknowledged what's going on. So in these times of stress, as the pilot, as the CEO, your vision casting of here's what's about to happen. Here's, how, here's our path through it. Okay, that's the other thing the pilot will say, by the way, they'll say we're going to be experiencing a little turbulence over the next two to three minutes. When we get through it, we'll turn the, uh, the seatbelt lights back off and, you, you know, we'll let you know when it's when you're free to move about the cabin again. They'll tell you, we'll let you know, we'll come back, we'll tell you how this is the path through it. it's going to take X number of time, it's a little storm front we're going through, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's what you're doing as a leader. It's vision casting. 
it, you don't, we don't think of it that way because we think vision casting is getting the board in the room and getting a flip chart and creating this beautiful vision statement or doing a vision board. Though that is vision casting, but I'm just talking about the really simple, practical vision casting of here's what's in front of us. I remember during the height of the pandemic, organizations were really panicked about what are we going to do financially? And I was coaching my coaches to create three different budgets, an A, a B, and a C. A is this is the best case scenario where we actually get more donations than we normally do because of COVID, where it doesn't hit our organization strong. We don't have to do any layoffs. We can do more things. It, it's, it's, this is the best case scenario. The B is the worst case scenario. This is what might happen and we're going to be prepared for it. It is a scenario in this scenario. We'll probably have to cut our workforce by a third we will probably have to cut our grants or our work that we do we'll serve fewer clients, whatever it might be. We might have to sell our building and work remotely. And then the C budget is, this is the most probable case. This is the most likely. We think it's somewhere in between A and B. And this is the one we're going to kind of gear toward, but we're going to be prepared for all of these. And they shared it with their boards and with their staff and it created this calming effect because it's like, okay, we can see our way through this in any one of these scenarios. And I've said it many times and there's research behind it. The fear of the unknown is actually more stressful than the actual bad thing. So it's, it's not knowing that you want to avoid for your people. So just a couple of things you can do in, in times of stress. Um, so just remember, you you own the work, or at least you're part of it. Keep in mind, what's your role in this? Not, how is my board chair responding? Not, how is my team doing? Ask yourself, what's my role? How am I responding in this period of time? I'm going to wrap it up with a poem by William Ernest Henley. One of my coaches shared this with me because it came to her mind when we were having this conversation about being able to manage the tough times. Um, and I don't know if this will inspire you, but I just thought it was is good, particularly the last two lines, pay attention to those. But this is Invictus. Many of you are familiar with this. Invictus by William Ernest Henley. And it goes like this. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet, the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Your faith may take issue with that last part. I'm the master of my fate and I'm the captain of my soul. You, say, you may say, well, God's the master of my fate and God is the captain of my soul. Well, all the more reason to take comfort. But even God would say faith without works is dead and, and hold you accountable for how you are navigating the waters in which you are placed. So... You got this. As a leader, you got this. Acknowledge it. Pay attention to your people. Work through it. 
With that, I will leave you. Lead on, my friends. 